Hey there, homies. Welcome to another episode of the Stuff I Don't Like podcast featuring candid conversations about modern society. Please do me a huge favor and follow us on Twitter and IG, both at underscore stuff I don't like, and also subscribe, rate, and review in the podcast app. For a complete listing of where you can listen to the Stuff I Don't Like podcast, please visit stuffidontlike.net. New episodes of the show are posted every Sunday at 9.30 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Now, let's get it started. Hey, everyone. I'm here with an esteemed lawyer. and friend of mine, Lahaina Araneta. She's an immigration lawyer and activist in the space. And I wanted to have her on the show today to talk about sort of immigration laws, immigration reform, and what can we do to affect change and to help immigrant communities in this time in America. So thank you, Lahaina, for being on the show. Thanks so much for having me. I just wanted to ask a few questions about, I guess, immigration policy, because I think a lot of people, including myself, are not that well informed. I think when it comes to immigration, you hear a lot of rhetoric, you hear a lot of stuff about illegal immigration, but how difficult is it to become a legal citizen of America? What are the steps? Um, So... There's only two avenues for the most part um, that most people can explore to get immigration benefits. It's typically through family-based or employment-based. There are, of course, the smaller, less explored avenues of a what they call a green card lottery or diversity lottery, um, where you can apply based on being from a country that has a low number of immigrants that Trump actually wants to get rid of. Um, and you can get a green card through this lottery, or you can also get a um, permanent residency or a green card through asylum. Okay, so is that an expensive process? Is it a long process? Like, how many years would it take to do that? So for some employment immigration avenues, it can take several years, and you have to be um, very skilled. You have to have a good empl- uh, an employer that's willing to pay and Um, do all the uh, paperwork and advertising in order to prove that there are no American laborers that can take that position. Um, But on top of that, you have to be able to show that you you have the education, the skill set to fit into that particular job, and that has to be verified through the Department of Labor before being able to get any approval from immigration. Uh, Besides employment, then there's the more popular family-based course, which we all know is more commonly done through the spouses. So like if you marry a U.S. citizen or a green card resident, that's an avenue for you to get petitioned in. Um, But you can also do it through your parents or your siblings. But some of those, like for instance, if you're from Mexico or the Philippines, can take up to 20 years before you can ever get a green card. (laughs) 20 years? Why would it take so long if you're from one country versus another country? Um, So there are limits for the countries that have the most applicants and the highest backlogs. Uh, Mexico, Philippines, India, and China are the highest number of immigrants that are coming to the United States. So they have basically a separate list and a wait, like a wait list for them 
where everyone else doesn't have to actually wait in line for the same amount of time. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, it's pretty oppressive because these people often die while waiting for the opportunity to come here and be reunited with their family. Yeah, that's 20 years. Yeah, it's terrible. So I guess a lot of people, I guess opponents of immigration reform would say, you know, there's legal ways to immigration. Why don't they, we're not against, you know, legally immigrating here. So what would your response be to people that say, you know, just do it the legal way? Why are we trying to help people that are breaking the law? Um, Well, for the most part, you know, if you know anything about immigration, you'll know that, yeah, there are definitely the legal avenues of immigrating here. And a lot of the people who are so anti-immigration are immigrants themselves who had done it the lawful way. Um, But those people, I feel at least in my experiences, don't actually know immigration law very well. And if they did, they would quickly see that the opportunities to immigrate here is is almost impossible. The laws are created in a way that makes it so it's, it's inefficient. Immigrants do nothing but enrich our country. They bring in more tax dollars. Uh, the statistics don't lie. The more immigrants we have here, the more money is flowing through our country. Um, it's it's a myth that immigrants steal jobs. They create jobs. When they go out and spend their paychecks, they're stimulating the economy just as you and I. Um, and they do pay taxes. It's, that's a complete myth that they don't. They pay taxes through the normal avenues through the IRS, but they also pay sales tax and property tax, um, just like everyone else. So um, I think if you are really anti-immigration, you think that it's easy to come here. Uh, you haven't really done much research and realized that even if you're here and you marry a U.S. citizen, there are laws that will permanently bar you from getting a green card if you crossed over the border without inspection more than one time within a certain span of years. Hmm, okay. So, like, how does Melania come? <laughs> Is she legal? <laughs> I'm pretty sure Melania is legal. Um, unfortunately, we are stuck with her, even though I do think that she might be held captive. All right, hashtag free Melania. Free Melania. <laughs> so I guess my uh, what do I want to say now? Okay, so um, historically, I would say that America has had sort of waves of anti-immigration feelings depending in my opinion it's depending on I guess the economy and what's going on when I think about the Chinese Exclusion Act that was in the 1800s where our country you know specifically limited immigration from China because they similar today they thought you know those immigrants were stealing our jobs you know in later years in the early 1900s it was more about limiting Irish immigration it was very anti-Catholic at the time so I think that these cycles sort of just repeat themselves when just the group I guess we're against sort of changes now today it's Mexicans and Muslim people but you know it's very strange because in my opinion it's all just traced back 
to white supremacy and could you elaborate on how, how do you think the immigration laws are established basically to further white supremacy with quotas and other sorts of legal tactics to keep certain people out? Oh uh, Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I definitely think the history of immigration and keeping immigration benefits and even the dialogue that we have about immigrants on the news, <clears throat> for instance, the word illegal immigrant, um, which a lot of people within the immigration space won't even use. Um, a lot of immigration lawyers won't even use the word alien, even though it's in, in the Immigration Nationality Act, and they won't use the word illegal, just because it's been used as a pejorative term um, against Latinos for so long. And when you think about immigrants, white immigrant faces never come up. And the way white immigrants are portrayed in the media is almost like a, a Mary Poppins figure where they're coming here to share their benevolent British culture and <laughs> nanny our children. Yeah. Nanny or take care of our children. Umbrellas. <laughs> exactly. They're fun. We love those European immigrants coming here and sharing with us their knowledge and superior culture. But the second that immigrant is, you know, eating rice or wearing a sombrero, that person's an outsider and they're stealing our jobs. And it's, it's the dialogue just that we have with the word immigrant itself that I think is already just furthering white supremacy. And then when you look at the laws, I, you know, we all know that our lawmakers are predominantly white men and they are no exception to furthering that dialogue. Very true. So I think a lot of times, you know, me as being a black person, a lot of times, I guess, our community can be pitted against immigrant uh, Mexican families. Like, I remember when my grandma, where she lives, uh, it was predominantly black for a while, and, like, a Mexican family moved in uh, maybe a decade ago when I was younger, and she would say things like, oh, I can't believe they're coming over here, they're taking our jobs, like, she's saying the same thing that, you know, an old white dude would say, and I would say to her, you know, really, you're talking about them in this way, but white people are talking about you both in this way, so uh, I think it's very interesting how, I guess, groups that could be sort of allied with each other are unfortunately pitted against one another when you're really both in the same situation so yeah I mean that's totally true and that's obviously part of the rhetoric of white supremacy because if we were to all align and be one cohesive group of oppressed people um, white supremacy probably would not have the power that it does today uh, but there we're told and this is through the Asian minority myth. My family are, are immigrants from the Philippines, and Asians are constantly told that we're the model minority, and that superiority complex that comes with it makes us look down on blacks and Latinos and um, non-hardworking, quotes, uh, immigrant groups, where we think of ourselves as educated and um, honorary whites. And that narrative was created by whites for Asians to believe so that we'd be pitted against Latinos and blacks because if we were to align with them, 
which I, you know, hope to see in the future. But right now, there's definitely an alliance with Asians and whites and thinking of themselves as honorary whites um, because it comes with so many privileges to be a model minority. Um, you know, we lose a lot of power in being able to fight white supremacy. Yeah, and I think a lot of people don't even realize how internalized white supremacy is even if you're not white you grow up in this culture so all you're exposed to is you know white dominance white history white intelligence like in school you're never taught about other cultures you just think white people learned did everything so white people are from that are going to think they're superior other people even if you outwardly you know are proud to be whatever race you are you still have that internalized mindset like I was talking to my uh grandma again and I was like why like what has a Mexican ever done to you like why are you so mad that these Mexicans have have moved in next door and she's like well it just upsets me because like they come over here here and they don't even speak English and they want to do this why can't they just be like us and I was like you realize that that is like you sound like a clan member because <laughs> literally a lot of people have this mentality even if you're not white if you're born here you have sort of this and I think it's very American ironically to be anti-immigrant even though American America is a nation of immigrants, but there's always, like, people that are born here, you're very anti-immigrant, and saying, like, well, you need to speak English, and you need to do things our way, and I was like, but how come that's basically only true for white people, like, when white people colonized America, they didn't adapt to native culture, and do, like, like, oh, let's start wearing headdresses, it's like, they didn't do that shit, like, everyone else is supposed to adapt to them, like, when the British Empire went to India, and Africa, and all these other countries, they weren't assimilating to those people's culture they were like forcing everyone to be like them so I told my grandma this and she's like wow I never thought of it that way <laughs> but it's it's very I don't think a lot of people think about it that way this is not to like insult my grandma <laughs> love love I, I love you baby we call my grandma baby <laughs> not to insult her but I it's just to show that the like indoctrination is so real that people just do things and believe things I think out of reflex without having a critical examination of why do you even think this way in the first place yeah I mean you definitely see it like I'm sure within your own community there's a lot of narratives by blacks who think that blacks are it's it's a self-hating narrative where they think blacks are not working hard enough to you know, end the violence in their communities. But, like, why don't you ask yourself why that violence exists to begin with? It's because your schools are being controlled by white money and you're not getting enough education, you're not getting enough food in your communities to be able to survive. And do you not see how that perpetuates crime? Like, why are you blaming it on yourselves and your counterparts when you should be asking yourselves questions? Why is it at a deeper level that you know we're not we're blaming our own community and pushing ourselves down as opposed to looking at you know where's the money like where's that money coming from because that's where all the power is and the money is not in the hands of the black community and that's why 
there are so many issues there and it's it's because we're being brainwashed to think that we're we're at fault we have to self-hate in order to stay powerless and that self-hate is taught to us by white supremacy and it furthers their cause and they've been really really successful at doing that that's true and i think a lot of people like white people get uncomfortable (laughs) when you talk about white supremacy because i think they have this false dichotomy of like what a racist is like racists are people that are in the clan and if you're not in the clan you're not a racist like like literally that's what people think like and they get so offended if you call people out like i said my grandma a old black lady was saying racist white supremacist shit and i called her out it's not some like you either are a clan member or you're a good person it's like our whole society is built upon you know white supremacy it is like hate to break it to you a lot of people want to be like oh well that was so long ago just get over it (laughs) that's not true at all that's like when people uh want to argue about white supremacy i'm like literally our history was built upon it like look at the homestead act of you know hundreds of years ago when the government literally paid white people to go out and kick out native people out of their land and to build this great white nation like these are literally laws and people want to act like just because it happened long ago that the repercussions are not still felt today but one of those reasons like the reason there's a great discrepancy in wealth between black people and white people is because white people um inherit land and money and property at a much higher rate than black people and a lot of it is because they were just given things hundreds of years ago that they still have to this day right so like you can't argue that just because something happened a long time ago it's irrelevant like that's absurd yeah for a lot of people if you were black and you happen to inherit property there would be covenants on the property saying you cannot have this if you're black or if you um, inherited for instance a lot to even be buried in but you were black you couldn't use it because there were covenants that prohibited black people being buried in certain places so generational wealth is a real thing just a few decades ago you know your grandma probably could inherit some things that someone might have wanted to leave to her um, even if it was passed down to her by a white person so it's it's very very proximate to where we are now and it's a lie to pretend that racism and white supremacy isn't the foundation of how we speak and act and move because it's just shows you how powerful white supremacy is because it's still in our narrative every day but we don't even realize yeah. it because we completely become so desensitized like turn on your tv and watch the news how many or a movie how many black characters are furthering the goals of the white character all of them and that's why the black the black panther films become so powerful for communities of color because it's a lot of the times for them the first time they get to see themselves in a role in a major movie that their their goals are being furthered by white characters um and it's just that's how indoctrinated we are with white supremacy that's become the norm that if it's anything outside that norm then we're shocked 
Yeah, and I think that's so true that people don't even notice. Like, I, I will say I didn't notice. This is something I probably didn't come to the realization until I was in my late teens, maybe early 20s, that, you know, this is not cool. I remember when I was in college, this literally happened. We had to read... um we read Women Warrior by Maxine uh, Kong, uh, Hong Kingston, a Chinese uh, author. And we read, like, The House on Mango Street. We read um, Toni Morrison. And my teacher was, like, an old white dude, but he just wanted to make us read books by non-white dudes. So we read a lot of books by women of color. And this white dude literally, like, blew up in class. I'm not joking. He's like, why do we have to read this women warrior what does this Chinese lady have to do that's relevant to me like he literally said this in class and I was like if I had to read a bunch of books by some old fucking white dudes that had nothing to do with my life my entire fucking life you can read this one book and shut up like I literally said this in class and the teacher was like yeah that's right like he didn't even care but that's so true like it's so I guess entrenched in society that people just think being white is default like that's the default setting for any sort of media like white people is default if you're not white that's some sort of weird uh you know unnatural thing or like we have to make a big deal that you're not white when the reality is white people are the minority of the world like if you go around the world there's really not that many white people <laughs> Like, look at Europe on the map. <laughs> it's not that big. And they don't reproduce that much, so they're a dwindling race. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it was. Just, it's just so funny how you are trained to think that being white is, like, quote-unquote normal and that only white stories are worthy of being told. And if it's not some white story, it's, like somehow not relevant like things that are are white are supposedly for everyone like friends the tv show that's for everyone right but like girls trip that's for black people <laughs> anything that's not white people is only for like the people that are not white that's absurd like black black panther is the number one movie in the world and it's not only because only black people went to saw it like black people <laughs> We're, like, what, 12, 13% in America. White, a whole bunch of white folks would see that movie. <laughs> and that's cool. Everyone should see that movie. It shouldn't be that only, like, Captain America is identifiable. Like, he's white and we all think he's cool and anyone that's not white is only full. I love Captain He's hot as hell. <laughs> Captain America's hot. <laughs> just saying. <laughs> But, like, yeah, that was just so, it's just so ingrained in our culture that people don't even notice it. And I would encourage people to take time to notice these things. And it's not, like I said, it's not good or bad. I think we have this false narrative that racists act this way, you act this way. But, you know, the only way we can change things is by education and educating yourself and that's we don't know everything I don't know everything neither does every, anyone else so the I more you can <laughs> she knows everything she, she muttered that 
I think we just all need to educate ourselves and speak to people who are different than you, that have had different experiences than you. Because a lot of this rhetoric, especially with, you know, the anti-Muslim sort of travel bans that Trump is enacting, you see people get so mad or try to enact. People get so mad and I'm like, dude, Muslim people aren't even the ones killing people like that. If you look at statistically, like, accurate uh, numbers, the most people doing mass shootings in America are young white dudes. So are we going to, like, round up every young white dude? Uh, like, if you're a white dude over 13, we're coming to your house. <laughs> we're going to corral you because you might shoot someone. Like, that sounds absurd. But that's what you're doing to other people that statistically probably have a, the lowest chance of harming you. Yeah, exactly. Like, if you really want to make America safe, then perhaps we could, like, corral every you know young high school and college white male and <laughs> we probably won't have another mass shooting exactly but that's the truth but like that's absurd we're not gonna do that we're not gonna round up muslims like <laughs> stupid but that's because like we've become so comfortable with the narrative that like that whites aren't dangerous because when we ever we talk about the mass shootings and like we saw it just recently the first thing that comes up is talking about his mental ill Ill. yeah (laughs) but god forbid if a black man kills another individual that man's a killer he's heartless he's a murderer especially if that victim was white because then it's going to get news coverage if he kills another black person then we probably won't hear about it at all but like exactly even with these school shootings like i'm very sorry for all of the families that endure this but this is what goes on in certain people's communities every day yeah, actually, dozens of people get killed and no one cares. No one's arguing about gun control when in Chicago people are killing people every day. That's not that's not a national debate. Yeah, that's actually a, a spokesperson from the NRA, an organization I do not endorse at all. But um, a spokesperson from the NRA even said, like, look, we're we're not doing anything about these mass shootings because the media loves them because watching white mothers cry sells. <laughs> Um, viewers gets viewership. That's but, true. You know, if you watch a black mother cry because her kids were killed in Chicago, um, you know, we're not going to get the same coverage. <laughs> that's fucked up. <laughs> like no one cares. <laughs> exactly, and that's because like people have come to believe so much that like white lives are so much more um, important. You know, a black mother losing their child is is deserved because you know those communities are unstable and that woman didn't spend enough time with her kids because she had to work two jobs because she was a single mother and she you know that kid didn't have a father figure that gave him the right path like the the victimized the victim narrative is completely different than the white mother who lost their child well, in a what school about the shooting. white mother who's a mother of these people that keep killing everyone that like, white what? mother was in shock when it all happened <laughs> she couldn't believe her white son would do such a thing you know and she also is a victim according to the media <laughs> This is absurd. So I think, obviously, immigration reform needs to happen. 
what are what would some legislation be for you like what are some ideal tenets that you would like to see come into law well i'm on the furthest left possible so a lot of the things i would say i think uh might make it so that you lose view no (laughs) you know i say all types of wild shit this is my show i say whatever the fuck i want say say it but I mean, I do believe like I don't think open borders is obviously the it the best be. avenue. Uh, I think that there does need to be some sort of way of having calculations of who comes in, just because, like for instance, in France they stopped um, doing race calculations and taking account of um, race when they do any type of census, and there was a huge problem about a decade ago where a lot of black French were suffering so much because they were suffering in a society that was still very pro-white French. And they didn't have any statistics to support and realize that there was so much oppression happening in the black community because they weren't, they thought they were being so progressive by being colorblind. Mm. Um, So I do think it's really important that we continue to document who comes in, why they're coming in, what they're doing to contribute to our society. I think open borders wouldn't necessarily promote that. But um, I do think that immigrants do nothing but enrich this country. And immigrants are actually right now leaving the U.S. at a rate higher than ever before. Oh, wow. I did not know that. Um, Are there, like, specific countries they're going to or they're just not coming here? Most of them are Mexican. A lot of it has to do with the xenophobia that they're dealing with here um, and also the deportation rates that are happening if you work in immigration you probably hate immigrants which is really ironic but if you work for ICE or USCIS which is the United States Citizenship and Immigration Services then you're probably not a very pro-immigrant person Um, those organizations and a lot of immigration judges as well aren't really promoting the interests of uh, most immigrants and those people are also being controlled by Trump policy. So if Trump's policy right now um, is higher American. And if you are in immigration services and you're trying to promote higher American, you're going to deny a lot of work visas. And I think that these type of policies are really going to hurt the U.S. in the long run. And I think higher American isn't, I mean, hiring American people is great. Like, I'm American. I want jobs. But, um, but I think that having immigrants and being open to, you know, all the applications with a higher approval rate, no matter the skill level, because Trump thinks that Haitians and Africans, um, as he said, you know, shithole countries, don't have the same offerings as Norwegian con- as the Nor- Norwegians do. And not that Norwegians are going to come here anyways and work, because their minimum wage is quadruple ours. Yeah, I would <laughs> Stay there. There's only like a million of them, anyways. <laughs> They're not going to be leaving here, leaving their country. But that's who Trump thinks he's going to be recruiting. I think we need to be re- recruiting and approving applications of the individuals from these quote shithole countries because Americans think that you know the. I had a family member who said this that really hurt me. They said. Um, if we were to lose every Latino farm worker through Trump's um, through Trump's policies, then you know we wouldn't necessarily lose lose jobs because Americans don't want to work. And 
uh, she had remarked that look at Chicago's South Side. Like, there's plenty of Americans who want to work, but they don't want to. And it's what? Like, yeah. That doesn't even make sense. <laughs> I'm confused. So, if we lose the jobs... Americans don't want to work, so wouldn't that be bad? No, no, like, no, the, that sh- she's saying that, like, so uh, she was remarking that Americans don't want to work. Uh, Americans, people are always saying that Americans want to work and that the, these Latinos oh. are stealing these jobs. But she's saying, no, they don't want to work. Look at these black Americans in the south side of Chicago. Well, there's no farms yeah, there, first Yeah, that was my all. first thought. So, <laughs> and secondly, most of these immigrant workers are would never be competitors for those jobs because a lot of these farmers are purposely hiring immigrant workers they only want to pay them two dollars a day yeah i feel like the whole low wages thing that hurts american workers and it also hurts immigrant workers like it's not that americans don't want these jobs it's that americans want to be paid to do the job and anyone should be paid a decent wage to do a job no matter if you're an american or from in a latin american country asian country african country it doesn't matter like you should be paid a fair wage no matter your citizenship status and that's ridiculous that they people exploit uh people from other countries just so they can pay them unfair wages like just I remember the dude that was Forever Twenty One was had that factory in downtown yeah. where he was like basically locking enslaving yeah. people, yeah, <laughs> and wasn't paying people for weeks, locking them in there to do work, and was threatening like if you don't work, I'll call ICE on you, you'll go to jail. So that's not cool. Like, <laughs> and people act like these Black Americans don't want to work, but it's more that they. If you were a black American, you went to go apply for a job on a farm, you're not going to get hired because you can't be exploited as an American the way you could exploit a Guatemalan migrant worker. So it's not even that, like, they don't want to work. They are not even candidates to be considered for the job because they want to exploit these individuals. Um, And a lot of people, especially, you know, I think of Detroit, are hurting because of de-industrialization of jobs in America. So you had people that were working in factories, not just black American, all the poor white people who like Trump. That's why you know why they like him. A lot of industries were closed up, so you don't have jobs. So then, you know, people have to turn to doing crime or doing other things because there's not any opportunities for people to even work in these sort of urban areas that have been de-industrialized. Yeah, and on top of that, there was, after a lot of these factories had closed down, their entire cities had just closed down within their water filtration, and the federal government stopped caring because... They didn't have an incentive anymore or big companies there that were calling attention in terms of money to these whole communities. And now they just became, you know, poor rural areas that just like the rest of America that is poor rural, they became completely neglected. Um, But it's just at a higher concentration now because there's so many more people that live there. So I actually... One of my favorite podcasts is Freakonomics. I don't know if you listen to that. I like to call my podcast The Hood Freakonomics. (laughs) (laughs) I I aspire to be at that level one day. You know, we're The Hood Freakonomics minus the production value. And And the hood. Yeah, everything. (laughs) Everything. (laughs) But... 
gonna get there one day. <laughs> but uh, Freakonomics, they did an episode that it was called "Is Human Migration a Basic Right?" And basically, they were talking about you know, especially immigration in America, the history of the policies, and there was one guy that was basically arguing for open borders. Pretty much, he was saying that you know, humans. Basically, the notion of having closed borders is a very recent development in human history. You know, when trade first started, you would just go and be a merchant. You'd go to fucking China, get your silks, you'd come back. And, like, you didn't have a passport. You didn't have people issuing or, like, allowing or denying you to go places. And he was saying that... uh, it was very interesting, very... I, I hadn't thought of it that way, but he was basically saying, like, even the nation-state as a whole, he thinks is becoming an outdated way of looking at the world because we are so global, and nations basically came about with colonization. Like, that's why countries basically started was to create wealth and steal other countries and we're beyond that now so he sort of thinks that in our globalist society maybe years from now that you know people will just be able to go wherever they want like what would you do you think that's good you basically said you don't believe in open borders i mean i guess i believe in open borders in that respect i mean i do think that there should be some sort of calculation of who's coming into your country and who's leaving because um, I think it could quickly lead to imperialization again. Um, so if we just let anyone in, whoever have has money can just come in and and take everything that we have in all our surrounding countries. Like if Mexico had open borders, um, there's so many resources in Mexico. There's It's a very, very rich country. Same with the Philippines. And I think that if people could just come in and take what they wanted, um, it could easily turn into another period of colonization i do think that there should be some way of maybe keeping rich people out <laughs> and, and everyone else can i come feel in. like that's not really necessarily open borders that would just you would need to have some sort of laws that you know outsiders can't buy property for example i like i know yeah. that that is a law in oh my gosh i can't i know it's a country in mexico Asia. actually has that like if you are not a mexican national it's uh, very hard to yeah property i want it might be in bali i'm not sure in indonesia but my friend told me there's a uh in asia there's a country where you cannot buy property there unless you're a citizen and they do that specifically because you know these wealthy tourists come in they buy stuff and they jack up you know the housing prices so right, right that's basically what's happening in america right now yeah a lot of people are coming over and buying houses for cash and then people that live here can't you know buy a home totally yeah i mean that but that then that idea would be citizenship and saying where you're from if you're quote outsider then that's a border because if you have a citizenship then you have a nation state so i do think that there's ways to categorize because wealth is if back you know five thousand years ago where we didn't have monetary value on the things that we do have cash and the disparity of wealth that we do today our disparity in the united states is terrible and it's gone up exponentially since the reagan era um the trickle-down economics makes it so that the whites get richer and every other racial class um, stays stagnant or gets poorer than the whites. 
Um, and it wasn't like that till the 80s. And, you know, the, the gap between black and white wealth was growing for two decades since the Civil Rights Act until Reagan got elected. And after that, you know, it just made it so that blacks got poorer and the whites got richer. And I think that, you know, if we have a country and all these other countries that are copying American style economics in terms of our um, growingly laissez-faire economics and just being um, very hands-off with our regulations on capitalism, it makes it so that, you know, if we had open borders, these people with power and money are becoming smaller and smaller, more concentrated. And they're, I feel like they need to be locked up in, <laughs> in their own countries and not be spreading their power. Because I would hate to see the Philippines, um, you know, have the type of white wealth go in there and investment and um, take the money out of the locals. Mm. But isn't that basically, I feel like on one hand we're saying like immigration is good, but then we're saying keep them out. Like it's, it's the same thing, but we're not keeping people out based upon race. It's based upon, I guess, uh, class. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, there's definitely issues obviously with that, but there's, and I totally agree, but I'm pro-immigration in the respect that um, if you come here, mo- I feel like. There's a difference between you want to come to this country, build a life, contribute, and be a citizen. Whereas if you're just coming as, you know, a foreign national, I'm just going to buy up all this shit and suck out all the resources. But I have no interest in living here or being here or contributing. I'm just trying to take it. Yeah, that's colonization. Yeah. I think, yeah, that's not immigration anymore. That's that's imperialism. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, it sounds like immigration when you talk about it really quickly. But you're right. It's basically just another form of colonization. And that's happening. We even see it. Like on a micro level in our own communities with gentrification. Mm-hmm. It's funny because um, when l- researching about immigration, I feel like it's very Republican now to be anti-immigration. But that's sort of a recent development. Like you mentioned Reagan. But when I learned more about Reagan, he was actually pro-immigration, which is very, yes. you know, strange. So I wonder when did the shift Uh, occur between republicans they liked immigration because it really meant cheap labor and stimulating the economy so why do they hate them now so much um i think because of the like white nationalist movement becoming such a large voice in the republican party because that's true reagan started um several immigration benefits that to this day, I wish existed. Uh, there's there were special benefits for farm workers that would be able to come into Mex- from Mexico. They could work seasonal jobs here at wages that were regulated by the government. So they had workers permits. Um, those were created by the Reagan administration. They don't exist anymore. Um, and they helped Latinos come in from countries that didn't have those same type of agricultural um, jobs or demands because. It's just not the gravity that the United States is. We're a huge country. We have a lot more money to hire and pay laborers, um, farm like farming jobs, but we didn't have enough workforce to do it. And the lot, especially during the seasonal peaks when the highest demand was up. But now we don't have that. So Latinos are still coming over to do those jobs, but they don't have the protections that the Reagan administration did. So not only 
are, you know, are these Latinos losing out from exploitation? But so are we. We're not regulating that money. And these are this is cash money that we could have been taxing um, from these big our, and agriculture's only become more and more corporate. Uh, it, you know, two decades ago, Monsanto didn't have the power it does today where it owns almost every cornfield in the United States. And they are still, you know, exploiting workers. Uh, they're exploiting workers more and more to farm their even higher and higher grossing um, product. Wow. So I think this is a great conversation. <laughs> I learned some shit. <laughs> Hope we all did. <laughs> Hope we all did, <laughs> listeners. So as, you know, an activist in this space, are there, you know, organizations the listeners can get involved with to learn more, to help out? Um, yeah, so I am an attorney. I do work um, in a private firm right now, but I um, happily can direct anyone if you're interested within your own communities um, feel free to reach out to me. I uh, have. I'll put my email address uh, under the podcast. Yeah, I can put it in and the then, notes. Yeah, and I will happily direct you to maybe an uh, activist group within your own area. And and if you're interested, I'm also offering right now for free uh, consultations for individuals who need help with DACA. Uh, there, there's been a lot of ups and downs and a lot of confusion, especially since DACA has been um, brought up twice in federal court. And two federal judges have tried to put injunctions on it. So uh, there's a lot of confusion. A lot of people don't really know what to do, especially also with TPS, Temporary Protective Status for Salvadorians. Um, just giving out some free advice. Uh, there's not a lot I can do legally, but at least, you know, give you some clarification. Uh, so feel free to reach out and then hopefully I can help you direct a way so you can be more active in your community. Because um, I do think working in the grassroots level the small organizations in your most proximate areas definitely the best way to make a difference. Yeah, I'd agree with that. So thank you, listeners. I'll post those. Uh, I'll post Lahaina's email in the show description. And thank you for listening. I'll see you next week. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Stuff I Don't Like podcast. If you did like what you heard today, do me a favor and subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes and the podcast app. Also, do yourself a favor and follow me on the gram. My feed is lit. You will enjoy it for sure at underscore Stuff I Don't Like. You can also stream the show on SoundCloud, Google Play, and Stitcher. Just visit stuffidontlike.net for a complete listing of all the places you can find my show. Thanks, and come back next Sunday at 9.30 p.m. for a new episode. Bye.